The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. Jesus said to his disciples, Amen, Amen. You will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will become joy. When a woman is in labor, she is in anguish because her hour has arrived. But when she has given birth to a child, she no longer remembers the pain because of her joy that a child has been born into the world. So you also are now in anguish. But I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy away from you. On that day, you will not question me about anything. Amen, amen, I say to you. Whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. The Gospel of the Lord. After everything we have heard and witnessed about St. Paul so far, in our daily readings from the Acts of the Apostles, we would think the last thing he would need is a bit of reinsurance. We've seen him stoned almost to the point of being dead. We've seen him thrown into the deepest part of a prison and then delivered. We've seen him beaten with rods and still preaching. And yet we have this reading that begins with the Lord saying to him in a vision, oh, don't be afraid. And, you know, part, you know the, the heart just wants to react and say, now you tell me. Uh, what, a, uh, what a remarkable and surprising moment this is. After everything that has happened, and in speaking this way, the Holy Spirit, through St. Luke, who is recounting all of this, is not so much recounting a singular incident in the life of the great apostle, he is recounting here in the middle of his activity, an activity that has known no small amount of hardship and danger and apostolic boldness, that within all of this there has been a regular consoling presence on the part of the Lord in his life. This is not so much the Lord finally says, don't worry, but a reminder that through all of this the Lord has been strengthening him and filling him with that peace, which has allowed him to continue with such heroic and remarkable faithfulness um, in the face of a world that is so violently opposed to the message that he brings. And we see this once again, this eruption of violence in the city of Corinth as Paul begins to proclaim the gospel from the Jewish community in Corinth, there are those so violently opposed they want to manipulate the Roman council to arrest him and do away with him. And we see here a dynamic that now we're going to see repeated as we continue to read from the last section of the Acts of the Apostles. This dynamic of Paul who formerly 
had been a Jewish Pharisee who remains Jewish, but who is also a citizen of Rome. He is not merely a citizen of Israel. And he will be caught between these competing systems of the Jewish law and the enforcement of Jewish customs and Roman law and the enforcing of Roman rule. And so it is here the Roman governor says, I'm not going to play. This is nothing about the civic order. This has nothing to do with criminal behavior. This is a matter of you not liking what this man has been saying. And so we will not be manipulated. What a remarkable moment this is because then we see what this was really about when they dragged the synagogue out and beat him viciously in front of the authorities who shrugs his shoulder and says, keep the hatred among yourselves. A different understanding of law enforcement than we have today. But, but this idea that the world remains dangerous, the world remains violent, and Christ continually strengthens, continually assures his minister that if you remain faithful, the violence will not overcome you, although you will suffer it from time to time. Note how well that echoes what Jesus is saying to his disciples in the gospel. There is going to be a moment, in fact, this moment as I move into my passion has already arrived where you will know grief. And that grief will be deep and it will be profound. But it is the kind of grief that has a point to it. This is an important teaching because the world around us believes suffering never has a point. It is a thing to be avoided. In fact, throughout human history, that is always how the strong have oppressed the weak. If you don't behave, I will make you suffer. And so control is also imposed because we desire to avoid suffering. That's why breaking laws have consequences that we don't want to endure. And so note, though, that the Lord is saying the suffering you're going to undergo is a different kind. It is a suffering in the direction of living, a suffering in the direction of life, a hardship that is precisely at the service of joy. And so, therefore, not a suffering to be avoided, not a hardship to be fled, but a hardship to be embraced, endured, and received because of the joy and the life that wait on the other side of this. And here he is speaking first and primarily about the joy of his resurrection, a joy in a victory that he will give to his church, an enduring joy, an enduring confidence, an enduring hope, but then also he points them beyond the narrow time frame of the events of the Passion to that point when they go out into the world to bring that joy and that victory and that life to others. And here we have this note of that marvelous traditional expression of Holy Mother Church, the mother who gives birth to children. 
And note, the church goes forth in the apostles to preach. And it will endure great hardship that is at the service of bringing many children to life. And there will be great joy in that. In the same way, a mother who endures the pains of childbirth rejoices holding the young life in her hand when that life is born. And the joy is so great that the pain fades. It gives way to life and to goodness. Note here then that the Lord is also saying to the disciples that just as I rejoice in you coming to life, you, my church, you, my ministers, will likewise have joy in those that you bring to life in faith. And what a remarkably beautiful statement and word that is that the Lord promises to his faithful, to his apostles, that there is a joy that brings the, from the, of the bringing forth of life that you are going to be involved in. And what a marvelous expression for what it means to share our faith and to invite others into the church and to come to know the fullness of Christ that it involves in a certain way a giving birth to a heart, a giving birth to a spirit, a movement from non-living to full living. And how absolutely remarkable that is. And note the Lord saying, and that's the kind of joy that no one can take from you. That is the kind of joy that the world cannot snatch away. And this, as well, is part of that great consolation of St. Paul that allows him to endure those many hardships and those great labors. And to not just endure, but to joyfully endure. Because of the experience of life, the life of faith coming to birth in the hearts and souls of so very many. And so note that it's to the community, to the church that will suffer in the direction of living that Jesus once again gives that phrase, whatever you ask in my name will be given to you. And we hear Jesus say this several times in St. John's Gospel. And we Christians often make the mistake of not listening to Jesus fully. As we do in all other areas of life, we like to hear what we want to hear. And so what do we hear? Whatever you ask in my name, you will receive. And what happens is we have that odd custom of as if it's the magic key that unlocks what we want, we begin tacking, in Jesus' name I pray, amen, to everything. As if somehow that's what makes my prayer work. But Jesus is not giving his church a specific formula to say. He's talking about the way we ask. He's not saying, tell me or tell my father that you're asking in my name. He's saying, ask in my name. To ask in his name, we have to live in his name. We have to think in his name. We have to speak 
in his name. And to illustrate what that means, think of the experience that often happens toward the end of our lives. When, for example, we're making decisions about our future and the question of power of attorney comes up. And what is power of attorney? When I give it, somebody can act in my name. And they have a certain authority over my goods and a certain access. Now, it would be greatly foolish to surrender that authority to someone who is not trustworthy or to someone who is not wise or to someone I only just met five minutes ago who doesn't know me. For someone to truly act well in my authority, he must know my mind. He must know my wishes, and he must respect me. So that acting and speaking in my name means something. Whatever you ask in my name. Notice how different it sounds when we recognize that? To ask in the name of Jesus is to stand in his spirit, to know his will. Because the Lord is saying, you're attaching my name to your request. Pray in my name. Pray in my spirit. Ask according to the movement of my heart. And my Father, who always listens to me, will hear me speaking within you. And he'll answer you. Note how wonderful that is? But the Lord isn't giving us simply a statement to say. There's nothing wrong with saying it. He's actually giving us a fundamental disposition, a fountain from which our prayer should rise. Ask in my name. Stand in my name. Live in my name. Think in my name. Desire in my name. And out of all of that, oh, ask. Ask with confidence because you speak in my spirit. And this connects us to one of the important elements of the second commandment in the Decalogue. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. And normally when we explain it, what do we say? Don't use bad language. And I'm going to say it, don't use bad language. But that is not the primary meaning of the commandment. The primary meaning is not simply watch the quality of your language. It is don't take the name of God and attach it to things or concerns or causes that aren't his. Ask in my name. We have to learn how to apply the name of Jesus to the causes of Jesus. That is what asking in his name means. Not simply adding it as a formula at the end of our prayers. But you notice then, there is absolutely nothing wrong with the formula as long as we understand whose spirit we're standing in. That is why in the liturgy, our prayer concludes always a certain way. Through Christ our Lord. Note, we are asking through the name of Christ. We ask this through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God forever and ever. In the name of Jesus Christ, who is Lord forever and ever. Those familiar formulas, note how they have within them the statement of asking in the name and the spirit of Christ. 
but in the context where we gather first in His Spirit. And we pray as His body and as His people so that we can be secure of standing in His name, so that our asking is truly in His name. And so note, as the Lord says this, He's also speaking not simply to 12 individuals at the Last Supper. This is not Jesus sitting down next to you and saying, ask in my name. He's speaking to his church. And he's speaking about the asking of when you come together. And you come together in my spirit. Ask in my name. And it will be given you. And so note how the Lord is also instructing us how we pray at Mass should become the school of how we pray at home. That importance of coming together in his spirit, of uniting ourselves with his will, and standing in that spirit and in that will to ask. And it's not by accident that we have that statement in our readings on this exact day. Because this is the first day of the Pentecost Novena. This is the first day of the original Novena. The original nine days between Ascension Thursday and Pentecost Sunday, the very first Novena ever prayed. When the apostles gathered with Our Lady to ask in the name of Christ for the coming of the Holy Spirit. And asking that they did together. And asking that they did over nine days and an asking that was answered with the marvelous and tremendous outpouring of the fullness of the Spirit of God on that great Sunday of Pentecost 2,000 years ago. And so note, the church that empowered by the Spirit will go and suffer and give life to the world is the church that asks in his name by standing in the joy of his victory and by calling upon the coming of his spirit. And note how wonderful it is. They gathered together around Our Lady in his spirit, and they asked in his name, and they were heard. Would that our asking as we pray over these coming days be so spirit-filled, be so united in his way, that our prayer likewise is heard, and the renewed outpouring of the Holy Spirit in our hearts likewise take place. Amen.